What's good, y'all? This is Code Switch. I'm Gene Dempy. And I'm Shireen Marisol Maraji. Shireen, homie. Mm-hmm. You've been getting a lot of side-eye on the Twitters lately because you always talk about your Puerto Rican-ness, especially after your, your recent reporting trip from Holyoke. Statistically, the most Puerto Rican place in America. No, actually, it's the most Puerto Rican place stateside. Oh, you're right. You're right. Because Puerto Rico is part of America. You're right. Did you you're learn right. nothing in that episode? <laughs> you're right. I stand corrected. But folks have been pointing out that you always talk about your Puerto Rican identity. But your Iranian identity, mm, you're a little dodgy. Not so much. Look, I didn't grow up around a lot of Iranians, not even my Iranian family, which is a long story for another episode that mm. I may do. Um, <laughs> all that to say, I'm Persian deficient. I admit it. It's the curse of being a mixed girl. So let's let's ameliorate that. Let's fix that. On this episode, we're going to talk about <laughs> In Iranian one episode, <laughs> we're going to ameliorate that. I did not know this, but the U.S. is home to the largest Iranian community outside of Iran, and it happens to be Persian New Year, Nowruz, which means New Day. The biggest celebration of the year for many Iranians. And we've invited Nilou Matamid, she's the editor-in-chief of Food & Wine magazine, to drop an explanatory comma on you, Shireen, because you obviously need it. I do need it. I don't even speak Farsi. It is Shama Mubarak. I'm sure that, I said that. That's good that you sound a little bit like you're from Pakistan. Oh, hey. <laughs> Shout out to all our South Asian <laughs> listeners. Anyway, Nilou and I rejoiced in the magnificence of Iranian food and culture, Gene. Mm-hmm. I learned that in Persian food, you often have the sweet and the sour. So after the break, we talked to our play cousin, the acerbic Iranian Muslim, Nagin Farsad, about what it's like living in America these days. All the back and forth over the travel ban has definitely affected Nowruz festivities for Iranians and so much more, as we know. Yeah, so the last time we talked to Nagin was four months ago. It was literally the day after the election. So we hit her up for an update. And you wished her a happy new year, of course. It is Shamama Barak. Wow, that that was really good. That was really good. Was it like really good or was it like it was a good try? That was like she's been speaking Farsi for five years. (laughs) Oh, okay. All right. We'll go with that. But before we get into the now with Nagin, Nilou Matamid of Food & Wine takes you and us way back into the past, like three millennia ago. So Nowruz actually dates back to ancient Persia and has pagan roots. So it began as a Zoroastrian festival of the spring equinox, and it has been celebrated for over 3,000 years. And what's Mm -hmm. incredible about it for me is that it endures today as a largely secular, non-religious, non-political holiday. And that main message is this message of renewal. And just the fact that Nowruz happens in the spring for me has always been kind of a no-brainer because I don't see a better time to turn that page on on the new year than the Mm -hmm. first day of spring rather than in the depths and dark of winter in January. I would have to agree with you on that. I'm ready for some renewal. I mean, aren't we all? Also, what I think is fascinating in terms of this holiday is leave it to Iranians. We we wouldn't ever do anything in a spare way. So rather mm. than it being a one-day holiday, we blow it out and it's two weeks. So if you roll all of the pageantry of Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's and you roll that all into one, you kind of start to grasp the importance of Nowruz. And so for us, it's all about overdoing and overfeeding and over delivering on yes. all that hospitality and abundance that our culture is synonymous with. 
Now, it's no secret to our listeners, I know very little about my Persian half. I talk about being Puerto Rican all the time. In fact, on a Reddit discussion, someone was like, Shireen just says Puerto Rico, Puerto Rico, Puerto Rico, Puerto Rico, Puerto Rico, like 5,000 times. And so as a joke, you know, I want to get schooled on being Persian. I'm super happy to do that because all I do is say Iran, Iran, Iranian, (laughs) Iran, Iranian. (laughs) Yes. So my parents are going to be in town this week, my Puerto Rican mother and my Iranian father. And I want to surprise my dad by doing something to ring in the new year. Um, We've never celebrated Noruz as a family. What do I have to do so that he walks right into the house and feels at home? Okay, so first of all, and I'm really not just trying to, for like a shameless plug, but you have to grab the March issue of Food and Wine because we did shameless. the ultimate primer. <laughs> because honestly, I felt like I'm constantly talking about this with friends because I am so Iranian proud and because our culture is so misunderstood. And so what I wanted to do is have an opportunity on the first day of spring for us to celebrate the way Iranians celebrate, which is OTT all the way. You're in L.A., so you've got to get yourself to um, Tarangelis, to any part of Westwood Boulevard. Hold up. You just said Tarangelis, and we're going to have to explain that to our listeners, some who may not know what that is. Nilu? There is a nickname for Los Angeles, and it's Tarangelis, because so many uh, Iranians emigrated to the U.S. and moved to Los Angeles. So it's as close as I can get to Tehran, short of taking a very long flight. Okay. Go and get everything that you need. And the things that you need are saffron. Okay. Because saffron is an essential element of our Noruz. It's all about celebration and, and that yellow color. And people say that actually it has elements in it that actually make you laugh and make you happy. You need to make sabzi polo, which is the rice that's layered with herbs. And mm-hmm. what's amazing about every element of food that is eaten at Noruz time, it's also symbolic. So those herbs are symbolic of renewal of spring then you need to make some kind of fish we make white fish and usually there's about two or three different kinds of white fish I did this yesterday with my mom and then it's all about the dessert so any kind of shirini which is sweets that you can imagine Mm -hmm. anything with rice or pomegranate or rose water or cardamom or saffron Those are the things you're going to want to get. And also in L.A., you guys have great ready-made Persian ice cream, which is called Basani Akbar Mashti. That you have to get for your dad. Is there a particular flavor? I have to get him when I go get You have to get the the saffron rose water flavor. Okay. That's the one. And then, super important... Are you are you still in this? Are you game? I'm in this. Okay, fish, saffron, ice cream. You forgot the rice, the rice. Oh, rice, rice, of course. The two key things I think that a Persian hostess perhaps is graded on culinarily is your tea, the way you brew your tea, and Mm -hmm. the crunchy bottom of your rice, which is called tadik. Tadik. Oh, so you know that. I know that. I know something. So so the tadik is that crust that everyone's very anxious about burning it, and it's so important for you to make. It's a a slow and steady situation. (laughs) You don't want to mess this up for your dad because... Actually, people feel that if you burn the crust of the rice for the New Year's meal, it portends badly for the rest of the year. <gasps> I know. It's a lot of pressure. That's a lot of pressure. too much pressure. Yeah. You know, Puerto Ricans have something called the pegao, which is the crispiness on the bottom of the rice. I think that's what brought my parents together. That they were, pegao. <laughs> they were brought together by crispy rice. Yes. Crispy, buttery, oily, salty. Yes. I know this is cheesy, but... 
I want him to like step into the house and just oh. feel this overwhelming sense of nostalgia. I want my dad does not cry. He's not a crier. I cry like for all of us and the whole family. But um, I want him to shed a tear. I want him to be really touched. Having the sombol, so having hyacinth, lots of that scent, I think that'll make him well up. You could probably have like some liturgical Persian music playing. I think that'll make the move. <laughs> also, talking about pagan ritual, there's almost an altar that you set up. I don't think any Persians actually talk, call it an altar. It's called the haftsin, yes. which is an array of items that represent your wishes for the coming year. Yeah. So there's seven things that have S. Do you want me to go through them with you? Please do. Okay. Samanu, which is a sweet pudding made from wheat germ, and that represents affluence. Samanu. Then, Samanu. Then there's Sikke, which is gold coins, and of course that refers to money and prosperity. Mm-hmm. Senjid, which is the dried oleaster fruit, and that represents love. Serke, which is vinegar, and that represents age and patience. Seeb, mm. which is apple, which no surprise is for health and beauty. Sir, which is garlic, and that's for medicine. Somak, uh, sumac, which mm-hmm. is for the sunrise, the color of the sunrise. Sombol, hyacinth. And that represents spring. Now, anywhere you go in any Iranian household right now, just as soon as you open the door, there's this waft of flowers and always hyacinth that's very symbolic with our new year. And then there's more. There's You can have wild rue that you burn to ward off evil spirits. I've never heard of that. What is that? How do you spell it? R-U-E. Wild rue is almost an incense. It's a plant that we call isfand, and you burn it in a brazier, and it's very pagan in that it's to ward off evil spirits, and you basically burn it and then kind of waft it in the direction of the person who you're trying to protect. So, Nilu, you mentioned a little bit earlier that our culture is misunderstood. And in the latest food and wine issue, where you share your menu for a classic Noru's dinner and you include your mother's recipes, in the piece that you wrote, you really kept it apolitical. You didn't, mm-hmm. you know, you didn't get into what's going on right now. And But Iran and Iranians have made headlines a lot over the last few months with the back and forth over the travel ban. Did you feel any kind of pull to get into the misunderstandings, to get into what's going on today? It's really important for me since I moved here to the United States in 1979 to have been a proud Iranian. And I think that that, to me, trumps everything else. There is a lot to say about the politics. I didn't feel like my piece was the right place to do it. To me, I was very keen on establishing the fact that there is no greater touch point among all of us than this universality of food. And so I think when you think about Nowruz, there's something super elemental and I think even universal about this this message of rebirth. It's the first day of spring. It's about the seasons. It's about the cycles of growth and renewal. And honestly, that feeling of optimism that I think we all need more than ever. And no matter what culture you're in, what language you speak, how far you are potentially from home, the way I I feel that I am, that sense of hope is something that we can all feel a connection to. It gives me a lot of joy to be able to bring that to life in a positive way. So now I'm really, really hungry. What's good with this crunchy rice, Shireen? 
crunchy rice bringing all the POCs together. It's like mangoes, except I don't think Iranians even eat mangoes. Mm, shame. <laughs> Anyway, like so many great Persian dishes that have both that sweet and that sour element, so will this episode, Gene. Nilu was definitely the pomegranate molasses. And for the sour grapes, we've got... Nagin Farsad. That's right. Comedian Nagin Farsad adds the bitter to the sweet after the break. Stay with us. Support for this NPR podcast and the following message come from Blue Apron. Blue Apron partners with sustainable farms, fisheries, and ranchers to bring you all the ingredients you need to create incredible home-cooked meals. Ingredients come paired with an easy-to-follow recipe card, delivered to your door weekly in a refrigerated box. Rediscover how fun cooking can be while enjoying specialty ingredients and exploring new flavors and cuisines. Get your first three Blue Apron meals free, plus free shipping, by visiting blueapron.com slash codeswitch. And we're back. And in honor of Nowruz, the Persian New Year. We've brought back Nagin Farsad to talk about what it's like being a Muslim Iranian in the age of the on-again, off-again ban on now six majority Muslim countries, of which Iran is one. Nagin's a friend of the podcast, the author of How to Make White People Laugh, and she co-directed the documentary The Muslims Are Coming. Welcome back to Code Switch, Nagin. Hello. Thank you for having me. So, again, you dropped by the podcast a little while ago. Uh, yeah. The episode was called A Muslim and Mexican Walk Into a Bar. It was the day after President Trump's election. And we were talking about how people of color who were most impacted by Trump's campaign rhetoric might fare during his presidency. And it's been four months, mm-hmm. and Iran and Iranians have been in the news pretty consistently because of President Trump's proposed travel bans, which keep getting caught up in the courts. Uh, Nagin, your parents are here in the States, but much of your extended family is still in Iran. What's a typical conversation with your family? sounding like these days? Oh, my God. Well, first of all, my mom calls me once a week to tell me, like, okay, this time it is now, this time, very serious. You cannot (laughs) tell anyone you are Muslim. You know, it is too dangerous. Now, this time, too dangerous. Don't tell anyone. I'm like, lady, (laughs) like, the cat's out of the bag, you know? Also, my name is Nagin Farsad. I can't hide very well under the face, under the name. Like, you know, Muslim is just going to come after that. So I think there's just that, just, like, the fear of admitting that you're Muslim. Yeah. And then there's the real consequences of the travel ban stuff, which is that, like, you know, my aunt was supposed to come to the United States, but then then she couldn't. You know what I mean? It's like the actual just people not being able to come and go. And then I think the other interesting thing to me is that citizens who are Iranian, but American citizens Mm -hmm. worry about travel because it says born in Iran on your passport, you know? Uh, And so like my mom, last time she went out of the country on her way back um, from Mexico, actually, uh, she was there uh, building a wall. And when she was on her way back, (laughs) she went um, and she got detained, you know? Oh, really? Yeah, just because it said she's an American citizen, but born uh, in Iran. And wow. so she they they held her and they questioned her for, you know, it was only 30 minutes. But still, uh, it was like one of these things where like, why do I have to worry about this? I'm an American citizen. Hmm. What is your Iranian diaspora story? I'm curious. What brought your parents here? 
they came um, right before the revolution, like just in time for the Iran hostage crisis, which was like an extra fun time for Iranians in America. <laughs> and uh, my brother immigrated with them, and he's much older than me. And then I was actually born here. We lived in Virginia, you know, when I was a baby. And part of the reason, it was like the sticks of Virginia, right? It wasn't like the glamorous, like this is where House of Cards is filmed, Virginia. <laughs> and they just, at some point, just couldn't, they were just straight up too, too much bigotry in in this part of Virginia. There were a lot of races. You know, I remember one of my earliest memories is my brother coming home from middle school with like a black eye because some kids wanted to rough him up and uh, for just being Iranian. Like it was rough, you know. Mm. And of course I was a baby so I don't have any real memory of that but that's kind of what drove them to go to California and sort of like as Iranians they could just like blend in with the Mexicans and uh, <laughs> you know kind of it was it was like a nice Mexican cover. Just all vaguely brown. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So you just get lumped in and it's fine and no one's yelling at you on the streets. Uh, One thing that you advocated for a few times in our post-election podcast four months ago was this importance of reaching across the aisle and talking to people uh, in places with very few Muslims, uh, letting them get to know you. You saw that as a way to curb discrimination, Islamophobia. And we're going to play a little bit of what you said in that episode. I would approach people in the middle of a town square. I would approach people on their way to work or whatever. And I found that it's not that people are just racist. It's just that people just don't know any better, is that mm-hmm. people don't get the the same kind of information. If you are given one narrative and it is saturating the media that, like, Muslims are violent or whatever or that Mexicans are trying to take your job and they're rapists, like, that's the narrative that you're going to know. I'm curious about how you feel about that now it sounds like i'm saying to people of color like now you have this additional task that other people don't have you know what i mean and i i get that and i don't think it's anyone's job or duty i just think it's like a great way to live it's about the other side doing it too it's literally about us just being better humans i personally take it on as a responsibility of mine to do that Mm -hmm. i don't think it's our job so your parents moved to, to Cali to feel safe, but you, on the other hand, you're very outspoken about your Iranianness and your Muslimness. You're an activist comedian. You make films about your identity. Do you think in this moment Iranian Americans are becoming more vocal about these issues around discrimination? And is your family becoming more vocal about these issues? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think my family goes between... Especially my mom, she'll just one day she'll just be like, we need to be quiet about this. It's too dangerous to like, you know, I am sewing a pussy hat. You know what I mean? And just like (laughs) out there and, you know, doing it. And so I think it's like toggling one day to the next. And I think that is actually, I think, pretty common for immigrants because Iran, where they came from, is an incredibly repressive place where there is no freedom of speech and where there is actual spying and wiretapping on citizens, not the fake kind. Mm -hmm. And that, so I think they bring with them this like long-standing fear of those things happening, you know, as they're just like adjusting to trying to be American and really believing in their constitutional rights, they still have this fear of what a government can do. You know what I mean? So it kind of goes between the two things, I think, for a lot of immigrants. What about Mm. second generation? What about you and your friends? Do you think that um, Iranian Americans are, like you, are becoming more vocal around issues of discrimination? 
one of the kind of most uplifting things that happened after the elections was I went to the National Iranian American Council, um, and it's this great organization out of D.C., and you know, and I'm in this room with like, I don't know, four or 500 other Iranians, which is an unbelievable rarity for me. So that already is like, you know, there's a lot of cologne. And I and I and, and I so I'm feeling really good. And and what kept coming up was just like, how are we going to resist, you know, and the overwhelming majority of people there kept saying, yeah, like, we need to be out there marching for Black Lives Matter. Like, we need to be out there for the Dakota Access Pipeline. Like, we need to Hmm. be out there with these other groups because we're all on the same list, you know? And at some point, we're going to need their help you know, and now they need ours or, you know, and and we'll see. And uh, and then, of course, w- one of the first things that happens is the Muslim travel ban. And everybody was out at JFK and all the airports around the country for that. Oh, and that like I'm like just thinking about it kind of makes me a little misty because it was, you know, for my white friends that were out at JFK, like they weren't being directly affected by the Muslim ban, but they knew that it was wrong. And that's the kind of, I guess, allyship is just like a word that is sometimes <laughs> loved and hated and oh, my God. But but I forget allyship. That's the kind of friendship that I think I've seen a lot of Iranians want to give to others and, and receive in return. Hmm. It is officially Persian New Year. Yay. What do you have planned? What are you going to do? I'm going to have the Sofre half scene out, which is like seven things that each start with the letter S. And it's a secular holiday, which I think a lot of people don't realize. They think it's like, oh, I'm gonna if I celebrate this holiday, I'm going to grow up tomorrow morning with an ISIS beard. <laughs> um, but it doesn't. That's not. You could literally, anyone could celebrate it. It's just about spring. Thanks, Nagin. Thank you, guys. And Nagin Farsad hosts her own podcast called Fake the Nation. Check that out when you're done listening to this one, of course. Shireen, it's time for your favorite part of the show. Let's go back to Nilu Mutamid. Nilu, we've been ending each show with something we are loosely calling songs that are giving us life. Uh-huh. Um, and I'm wondering if there is a Persian song that you love that gives you life that we should go out with. Ooh, so there's a song called Nilu Far. <laughs> That's your name. That's my name. And um, it, it's like... It's very happy. It's like a song they play at weddings. And uh, that's the one song that comes to mind. And it's like, Yes, keep please going. Do, please do not ever play that anywhere. Sorry, that's going to get played. Um, Nilu, keep it going. <laughs> no! That song just obviously because it's my name, yes. and also because it's a dance song that makes you want to. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I love to dance. And Jean, this version of Nilufar that we're listening to is by the Iranian musician Martik. That's our show this week, y'all. Please follow us on Twitter. We're at NPR Code Switch. We want to hear from you. Our email is codeswitch at npr.org. Subscribe to the podcast wherever fine podcasts can be found or streamed. Walter Ray Watson, Sammy Yenigan, which his last name actually means New Day, too. And Maria Paz Gutierrez produced this episode. We had original music by my fellow Iranian, Ramtin Arablui. A shout out to the rest of the Code Switch fam. 
Adrian Florido, Leah Danella, Karen Grigsby Bates, and Kat Chow. Our intern is George Encinas. Our editors are Neda Ulibi and Juleka Lantigua Williams. I'm Gene Demby. And I'm Shireen Marisol Miraji. Be easy. Happy New Year. Thanks for listening to Code Switch. Check out NPR's Hidden Brain, hosted by Shankar Vedantam. Hidden Brain uses science and storytelling to help you understand the world around you and yourself. Wondering why it's so hard to change your best friend's political views or feeling like you're in a bit of a rut and you need to get unstuck? Hidden Brain can help you with those questions and plenty of others. Find it now on the NPR One app or at npr.org slash podcasts.